Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus, this morning, just thanking you for our time of worship, Father. Thanking you for this day that we've set aside to recognize and honor our seniors for their great accomplishments, Lord. And Father, we pray that you'll be with us this morning. As we open up your word, Father, and we look at life storms, Father, Lord, we pray that you will speak to each one of us, that your Holy Spirit will fall upon each one of us and speak to us and, 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 and empower us today. And Father, we just look forward to seeing what you're going to do this morning. Father, here we are. And Father, may it be the prayer and the cry of each of us that you will send us. Lord, send us across the street and send us around the world so that we can reach the nations with the good news of salvation. Lord, we love you and we thank you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're continuing our sermon series entitled Miracles and Parables. So far we have been in Matthew chapter 8 for the past several weeks and we've looked at how Jesus has healed a leper. We looked at him heal a centurion's servant. We looked at him heal Peter's mother-in-law and then scripture says that he healed many other people. And then after the healing of these people, Jesus tells his disciples, it's been a long day, So he instructs them to get the boat ready because they're going to go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But before they get in that boat, two men will come up to Jesus and tell Jesus that they want to be his disciple. The first one will be a scribe, a religious leader. And this man says, Jesus, I want to be your disciple. And Jesus tells him that foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. But, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So basically what Jesus tells his first man is that if you're going to follow after me, it's going to require you to live a nomadic lifestyle. And then the second man that comes up to him and says that he wants to be his disciple. And Jesus says, um, he says that first he wants to go home and bury his father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. Now that seems pretty cold, but as we looked at um, the last time that we came together a couple weeks ago, this man's father was not dead at all. It was tradition that a person would wait for their father to die so that they could first inherit their, inherit their, what is coming to them. And then this man would be willing to follow after Jesus. And so that's what we've looked at so far. And this morning, we're going to be looking at the storms of life. Today is senior day. The day that we have set aside to recognize our seniors for their many accomplishments. There's a story that is shared about a politician who goes over to Dublin to, to do some business. And he, he, the train that he was on was running a little bit late, making him a little late for his meeting. And so he rushes out of the train station. He gets into a cab car and he tell, tells the taxi driver, drive as fast as you can. And that's exactly what this man does. He guns it and he flies out of the station going as fast as he can. And they're going down the road, just jumping around all over the road. And this man goes, hey, do you know where you're going? And the taxi driver says, no, I don't know where I'm going, but I'm going there as fast as I can. You know, isn't that how life goes sometimes? We are in a hurry to get somewhere, even though we really don't know sometimes where we're going. Alabama, the country 
group, um, sing, they sing a song called I'm in a hurry. And the first part of that song goes, I'm in a hurry to get things done. Oh, I rush and rush until life's no fun. All I've got to do is live and die, but I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Don't know why I have to drive so fast. My car has nothing to prove. It's not new, but it'll do zero to 60 and 5.2. And then it goes back into, I'm in a hurry to get things done. That may be the case for some of us in this room. We're in a hurry to get somewhere, even though we don't really know where we're going. If I was to ask our seniors this morning, and you already heard Justin share what their heart's cry is, where they really feel led um, to go and pursue as they begin this next chapter of their life. But if I was to ask the young people in this room, what is it that you want to do when you grow up? Many are going to say, hey, I want to be a doctor, or I want to be a lawyer, I want to be a nurse, I want to be an accountant, I want to be a professional musician, or I want to be a teacher, or a CEO, or an engineer. I mean, they would just rattle off all the things that they want to do. But if I was to ask you adults in this room, how many of you are living the dream that you had way back when? That day that you graduated from high school or college, man, you had dreams. Man, you had goals and you were going to pursue a particular profession. How many of you, just by way of showing of hands, how many of you are doing exactly what you thought you would be doing when you graduated from high school? Raise your hand. Okay, very, very few of you are doing what you thought you would do when you graduated high school. All of you in this room know that I love baseball. Man, I've always loved baseball. And, you know, when I played baseball in high school, I was pretty good at baseball. And one of the greatest honors I had in high school was I was invited to play at the Texas Ranger High School Showcase. And this was going to be a day in which scouts was going to, they would be at that game and it would be an opportunity for me to show what I was capable of, 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 of how I could perform. And I was looking forward to that day. I got that invitation a few weeks before graduation, and it was going to be a few weeks after graduation. Baseball was still going on. We were in the playoffs, and we were doing pretty well. And so me and a few of our, my buddies, we went down to the baseball field to get everything set up for baseball practice. And one of the things that we set up was the pitching machine. And we set it up on, on the pitching mound. And this was one of those old-school pitching machines. It had two big old spinning wheels. And you would drop the ball into, that, um, into a hole, and it would spin down to, to home plate. And what we decided we were going to do on that day is we were going to crank that bad boy up as fast as it would go. And so we cranked that thing up. I don't know how fast it was going, but it was probably going somewhere around 90 miles per hour. And when you were in high school, the fastest people that we would see would be about 70. And so it was going to be a challenge for us to hit off of that machine. But, you know, being the high schoolers that we were, we were a bunch of goofballs. And so we thought that we would try this before the coach got down there to catch us from the stupidity that we were about to do. And so we get that machine cranked up as fast as it would go. And we get that ball um, in there, we get it lined up so that it was throwing strikes every single time, right down the middle. And even though it was throwing strikes right down the middle, that didn't mean that we were going to hit that ball. And I remember whenever I stepped into the plate, you know, I began to take some cuts, and I, I was whipping, I was, I was nicking a few of them, but I never made really good contact. 
until um, one of the guys that was dropping the ball, if you put in a clean ball, a brand new ball, that ball would throw a strike every single time. But if you put a ball in there that had any kind of um, tear in it, then it was going to cause a wicked curveball to be thrown. And in order to be ready to hit the ball, you actually had to begin your swing when that guy was dropping that ball into that hole. And I remember on this particular time, I'm, I'm right there and I'm ready to hit the ball. And so the ball is put in. It was a torn ball. The ball was put in and I'm swinging with all of my might and that ball is coming at me. And I could not react. And I swing as hard as I can. And that ball hit me right on my hand. And in an instant, all of my dreams were destroyed. I thought that I was going to be a professional ball player. The likelihood of that happening was pretty much zero to begin with. But that was the dream that I had. And that dream was destroyed right there. I was able to finish out that season with a, a little splint on my hand, went to the showcase. I struck out the first time up and grounded out the second time up. And, and all of my dreams on that day came crashing down. I dreamed of being a professional ball player, but God had other plans for my life. Had I become a baseball player, I am not sure where I would be today. I don't know what your dreams are, young people. I don't know what your dreams are in this room, adults, but if your dreams do not line up with God's purpose for your life, you are going to go throughout life, and it's going to be a difficult life. It will be an unsettling life, but if you live out the purpose that God has for you, then I promise you, your life will prosper. And we read this in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. It says this, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it for then you will make then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success god has a purpose and a plan for each and every one of our lives in this room. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. God still has a purpose and a plan for your life. As you begin to plan the course of your life, ask yourself, where does God fit into this plan? College, our, our, our graduates, ask yourself, where does God fit into this plan? Is this my plan or is this God's plan? Does God receive glory through this profession? Ask yourself those questions. My prayer for all of us, regardless of our age, is that we will heed God's word for our lives and pursue what he would have us to do, not what we ourselves want to do. Know this, when your life, when you live your life according to God's plans, two things you can be certain of. Number one, it will be a fulfilling life. The Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. When you live your life according to God's plan for your life, you can be guaranteed that it will be an abundant, full life. So you can be guaranteed it'll be a full, fulfilling life. You know what else you can be guaranteed of? It's going to be a stormy life. It's going to be a rough 
life. There will be storms that occur in your life, students. And when those storms come, if you are not prepared, you will sink in the ship that you're in. Matthew 8, 23 through 27, our focal verse, verses this morning says this. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 23 through 27. We also have it here up on the screen for you. But Matthew 8, 23 through 27, this is what we read. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even winds and sea obey him? Here's our message point this morning. It's this, preparing for life storms. Preparing for life storms. Two weeks ago, we read in Matthew 8, 18. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. What Jesus did in one day, it has taken us weeks and weeks and weeks to walk through. As we walk through the Sermon on the Mount together and as we walk through Matthew chapter 8 together, Jesus is tired. He, he has preached the greatest sermon that has ever been preached. He has healed countless people. He has discipled. He has equipped. He has breathed life into countless people. He has even watched people turn away and go home because they were not willing to be his disciples. All this happened in one single day. And as the day is winding down, he instructs his disciples to prepare the boat because they're going to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Notice point number one this morning. It is this. Life's overwhelming moments. Again, we read in verses 23 and 24. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. There will be storms in life. You can be guaranteed of that. Some of those storms are going to be kind of like this morning. They're going to be kind of sprinkly storms with a little bit of thunder in them. Some of those storms are going to produce hell. Some of those storms are going to be tornadic. And some of those storms are going to be category five hurricanes. Notice on this particular day, the storm that the disciples encountered. The disciples were no strangers to storms. Man, they were professional fishermen. They had been out on the Sea of Galilee probably thousands of times over the course of their life. And they had encountered storms on this particular Sea of Galilee. I've had the opportunity on several occasions to journey out on the Sea of Galilee and what they call the J boat. It's the Jesus boat. And you go out on the sea and you spend about an hour or so out there and it's a great time of reflection. You open up God's word and read God's word and study God's word. Just an amazing opportunity. I've not only read in God's word that in an instant those calm seas could turn treacherous, but I've heard firsthand testimony of that happening. I have not witnessed that, but I've heard testimony of men and women on the ground saying that, yes, indeed, it can change in an instant. The Sea of Galilee sits about 600 feet below sea level, and the climate itself is pretty tropical. Just to the north of the sea is Mount Hermon, which rises some 9,200 feet 
above sea level. And I read that at times, strong northerly winds will plummet down the face of that mountain. And when those dry, cold, when that dry, cold air meets that moist, warm air, in an instant, the Sea of Galilee changes. And it goes from being smooth to being treacherous. And on this particular day, that's the kind of storm that these men will encounter out on the Sea of Galilee. This is not a normal storm. The word that is used in the Greek to describe this particular storm is the word seismos. And it's from this word that we get the word seismic or earthquake. And, the, and, and so what we're seeing here is the water beneath this boat is shaking so violently, it's as if they are experiencing earthquake out on those waters. The water is sloshing into the boat, and if something is not done immediately, the disciples fear that that boat is going to sink. You know, our lives sometimes become seismic, don't they? Think about that. Our lives sometimes become seismic. You lose a job, you lose a loved one, you fail a test, you break up with your boyfriend or girlfriend, divorce occurs, there's family turmoil where, where, where child is, 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 is button heads with parent or parent with child, there's financial struggles or financial ruin that occurs in our lives, you're diagnosed with a terminal illness. When those things happen, it's as if the ground below us is shaken, right? I mean, have, has that happened in your life where you've experienced such a seismic um, activity in this world that it really feels like the ground below you is shaking? As I've said before, if you and I live long enough, we will experience storms in life. Students, as you go through life, you can be certain that there will be storms that will occur. If you prepare yourself, though, today and ground yourself in God's word, when those storms come, you can be certain that God will provide you with everything you need to weather the storm well. You can be certain that just as Jesus was present in the boat with the disciples on this day, he will, just, he will be just as present in your life as well. Notice the Savior. We read in verse 24 again. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. Have you ever been in such a deep sleep that, man, I mean, it, it, it doesn't matter what happens outside of your house or outside of your room, you're not going to be woken up because of it. You know, I know that there's been times when I've been sleeping so hard and there's been a major storm that has come through at night. And, and my wife will ask me, man, did you hear that thunder last night? No, I didn't hear anything. I mean, there are times when somebody could break into our house and steal everything, probably even the bed that we're sleeping in. And, and I wouldn't wake up. You know, that's kind of the the kind of sleep that Jesus must have been experiencing on this particular day. I love the picture of Jesus' humanness here. Jesus has, as I've already said, had a long, tiring, busy day of teaching, of ministry, and of service. And the boat sets sail. And then what does Jesus do? He finds him a small spot in that boat. And he probably curls up into a ball. And he falls asleep immediately. And as he sleeps, this violent storm rages. Water is slushing into the boat. The disciples are fighting with all their might to keep that boat um, topside and to keep it erect and all that. And, and what is Jesus doing? He's asleep in the boat. 
and he is not just asleep, but he is out cold. So we see Jesus' humanness in this story. Know that in the midst of his humanness, he is still fully God. He is still fully omniscient. He is still fully aware of everything that is happening around him. And not only is he aware of it, but he knew that this storm was going to hit before it ever hit. But did that stop Jesus from finding a place in that boat and, 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 and going to sleep? No, it did not at all. He knew a storm would hit, and it would hit with such force that the, the disciples would be left scrambling. But he was not worried because that storm did not concern him. Know this, even in the midst of our storms, Jesus is not panicking. Jesus is not worried. He has you in the midst of life's storms. Are you depending on him during those storms is the question. In Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, we read, Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Notice our second point this morning. It's this, life's fearful moments. In verses 25 and 26a, we read, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? In the midst of this storm, the disciples are left with only one choice, and that is to turn to Jesus. Friends, that is what Jesus always wants us to do. He wants us to turn to him in the midst of life's storm. I read this story about um, a story that that the late Paul Harvey used to share. And it goes like this. Um, He loved to tell the story of an Arkansas farmer who kept losing hens to some nocturnal predator. He suspected it was a fox. So one night as he is preparing for bed, he loads up his shotgun and he gets it ready so that whenever that nocturnal animal shows up in his hen house, he's going to be ready. So when he heard a commotion in the hen house, he jumped out of bed wearing just his nightshirt. He grabbed his shotgun and he shot out the door of his house. Then as he approached that dark hen house, fear began to take over. He began to worry. He began to think, what if that fox is rabid and he bites me before I'm able to shoot it? What if um, it's not a fox, but what if it's a wild cat? Or what if it's some other um, um, wild animal that's in the hen house? And so fear began to grip him. And as he gets closer to that hen house, he stops and he listens to the commotion. And about that time, as he stops, his old trusted dog comes up behind him, sneaks up behind him, and he takes that wet, cold nose, and he puts it up against his leg. And at that moment, this man jumps off the ground, he shoots his fire, uh, he fires his gun, and in an instant, 30 of his hens lost their lives. Paul Harvey used to say, it wasn't the shotgun that killed them. It was fear. You know, these disciples, they were gripped with fear on this particular evening. Isaiah 41.10, we read this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. 
For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Notice the disciples cry on this particular evening. And they went and woke him saying, save us, Lord, we're perishing. Within the life of every person, there must come a point when all of us recognize that without Jesus, we are lost. Without Jesus, we have no hope of being saved. There must come a day when all of us cry out to Jesus, save me, Lord, I am sinking. Let me ask you this morning, in a room this size, have every one of you come to the point in your life where you have cried out to Jesus, save me, I am sinking. Have you repented of your sins and asked Jesus to be the Lord and the Savior of your life? Have you asked Jesus to be the captain of your ship? There's coming a day when every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And for those that have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will receive our rewards for the things that we did here on earth. For those that do not know Jesus, they will stand as a condemned man. And Jesus will read off a rap sheet of why you are not able to enter into eternal life. And you'll hear these words, depart from me for I never knew you. There's coming a day when all of us are going to have to stand before Jesus and be accountable for the life that we lived. If you were to die today, do you know where you would spend eternity? There's got to be a point in our lives where we cry out to Jesus to save us. Has that happened to you? If it hasn't, then this morning I pray that you will make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to repent of your sins and cry out to Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. Notice also the faithlessness of these disciples. In verse 26a, we read, And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Why were the disciples afraid? I mean, think about these disciples. I mean, they have witnessed Jesus teach with incredible authority. He called them with incredible authority. They have witnessed him heal countless people. He's healed the lame. He's healed the deaf. He's, he's healed the sick and the diseased. The deaf have heard. The mute have spoken. The lame have gotten up and walked. And the demon-possessed have been delivered. Even though they had witnessed these supernatural events in this particular moment, they turned to Jesus out of desperation. And what does Jesus do? Jesus scolds them in an instant for their lack of faith. Folks, storms will come our way. But as believers in Jesus, we know that none of the storms that come our way surprise him. Your cancer doesn't surprise him. The loss of a loved one does not surprise him. When you lose your job, that does not surprise him. When you break up with the love of your life, young people, that does not surprise God. Nothing surprises him. And that's why he asked the disciples, why are, your, why are you afraid? Where is your faith? Translated, trust in, or do not fear, trust in me. Do not fear, 
trust in me. Notice what Jesus does after he tells his disciples not to fear and to trust in him. He calms the storm, doesn't he? Life's calming moments is our third point. Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Know this. Life is always better with Jesus. Do you agree with that? Do you agree with that, faith family? Life is always better with Jesus. Say that with me. Life is always better with Jesus. One more time. Life is always better with Jesus. Students, there is coming a day when your faith will be challenged. It's going to be challenged when you go off to school. Your professors are going to challenge everything that you have come to believe in, in your home, in your church, at camps, the way you've been discipled at school, everything that you have come to believe about the Lord Jesus Christ and about God's word will be challenged. And if it's not challenged at school, it will be challenged when you get into your profession. Your bosses will challenge you. Your co-workers will challenge you. Potentially, the people you date will challenge you. Your neighbors will challenge what you believe. Society will challenge what you believe. Even our government will challenge what you believe. And I want you to know right now that it is always better to weather the storms of life with Jesus than to weather these storms on your own. These disciples turn to Jesus, and after Jesus scolds them for their lack of faith, he demonstrates his great authority over the wind and the sea. And notice what he does. He rebukes the wind and the sea. In verse 26b, Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Jesus showed his disciples that he not only has authority to heal on this day, but he also has authority over nature. You know, sometimes Jesus will calm the storm that you are going through. Sometimes, man, he'll calm those waters and make them as glass. Other times, though, he won't, he won't calm them the way that we want him to calm them. Sometimes he'll heal our cancer. Sometimes he'll provide us with a better job. Sometimes, though, the Lord will just take you home to dwell with him for all of eternity. Sometimes he will take our loved ones from us. And we are left here hurting and in desperate pain because of the void that, that, that has been left in our hearts. But for our loved one, for our loved ones that the Lord has taken home, Oh, what sweet victory it is for them as they dwell in the presence of the Lord. In one way or another, the Lord will always rebuke the storms that we are going through. He will always calm the chaos that we find ourselves in. Sometimes it's going to happen the way we want it to in our, in our fleshly sense. But sometimes he's going to calm it in a different way. Notice what Scripture says in 1 Corinthians 15. 52 through 58, we read, Paul wrote, these wrote, Paul wrote these words. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, 
For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For, for this perishable body, perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. When the disciples witnessed Jesus do what they could not explain, notice their awe. In verse 27, And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey? As believers, you and I can experience the same reaction that the disciples did on this particular day when they witnessed Jesus calm the storm. We can also be left in awe in the midst of our stormy conditions. Our takeaway this morning is this. Life is always better with Jesus. Students always know that your life will always be better with Jesus. Your schooling will always be better with Jesus. Your professions will always be better with Jesus. Your dating relationships will always be better with Jesus. Your homes will always be better with Jesus. Your play and your work will always be better with Jesus. Storms will come. I mean, that's a fact of life. All of us are going to encounter storms in our lives. They are unpleasant. They hurt. They are painful. But in the midst of those storms, as long as Jesus is in the boat with us, as long as he's the captain of our ship, we can be certain that we can weather life's storms. Students, my prayer for each and every one of you is this, that you recognize today that that your future, there are going to be stormy moments in it. But as long as you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, as long as he is in your heart and in your life and Lord over your life, he is going to give you the ability to weather those difficult moments. I wish I could say, man, that, that life was going to be easy, that all of us were going to just um, live out um, our lives and never have any kind of sickness, no, never have any kind of tragedy that will occur. But that's not the reality of life. Jesus makes that clear that as Christians, we are going to experience storms in our lives. Not only are we going to experience storms, but when we live our lives for Jesus, guess what could happen? We could lose our lives for Jesus. The road before us is difficult. But Jesus, as long as he is our guide, we're going to be able to overcome this life. And we're going to get to the other side of this life. And when we do, Jesus is going to be there waiting for us. And we're going to be able to dwell with him for all of eternity. You may be here this morning. And and you don't know where you'd spend eternity if you were to die today. You don't know if you would spend eternity with the Lord in heaven 
or if you would spend eternity separated from the Lord in a place called hell. If you don't know for certain where you would go if you were to die today, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. And that is to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and ask him to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And also repent of your sins. Repent of those things that you have done that have caused you to fall short of God's glory. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God's word also says in Romans 6.23 that as a result of their sin, the wages of sin is death. What we deserve is death. But then that verse in Romans 6.23 goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you place your faith in Jesus, repent of your sins, and cry out to him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, you can be assured that you will spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. So if you're here this morning and you do not have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you this morning to make the greatest decision that you could ever make. If you're here this morning and the Lord is leading you and your family to join this faith family, we invite you to do that on this day. You may, just where you're at this morning, you may need to just pray. And pray for the Lord just to reveal to you what you need to do as a result of this sermon. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And when I say amen, if there's a decision you need to make, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you this morning just thanking you for the opportunity just to spend time in your word today. Father, I know that this is a a message that none of us really like to hear. It's certainly not a message that I like to preach, that life is going to be full of, um, of, of ups and downs. There's going to be storms that we encounter. But, Lord, that's the reality of this life. That's the reality of the broken world that we live in today. But, Father, when we place our faith and trust in you, Lord, we no longer associate with this world because we're not a part of this world anymore. We're a part of a different world. We're a part of another kingdom, and that's a heavenly kingdom. And as long as we live our lives with you as the captain captain of our ship, we're going to be able to weather life's storms. So, Father, I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you will help us to do that well. Help us to weather life's storms well. Help us to bring honor and glory to your name through these storms. And, Father, I pray right now, Lord, if there is someone here that has yet to receive you as their Lord and Savior, they have yet to repent of their sins and cry out to you to save them from their sinking lives. I pray that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, if there is some here this morning that has been visiting this church for a while and you're leading them to come and be a part of this faith family, Lord, we invite them to come on this day as well. Just move now during our time of invitation and be glorified during this time. For it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.